This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money Markets. I'm Dan from Shares and I'm joined by Laura from AJ Bell. Hi there. So this week, we're talking about more of the impact of the coronavirus. We'll be discussing all the help you can get with your finances during this time, explaining what the government measures mean for the economy, and a usual look at what's been happening in the very volatile markets too. Um, Apologies again for the second week in a row. We're on Skype rather than our usual um, studio to record this. So um, if the sound quality is not quite as good as usual, um, hopefully you'll still be able to hear everything that's going on. So first, we're going to look at the various initiatives by central banks in the past week to support markets, because a lot has changed since we recorded the podcast last week. So we're going to break down all the jargon and explain what it actually means in plain English. So here to help us with it, with that is Russ Mould of AJ Bell. Hi, Hi Russ. Laura. So what have central banks actually been doing over the past couple of weeks? Of course, that could take a long time to explain. But the, the, the major move that they've made are we've seen a return to what's known as quantitative easing by the Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank, uh, and the Bank of England particularly. That means that what they look to do is they look to buy government bonds. They're now looking to buy corporate bonds or loans issued, traded loans issued by companies. Uh, And in certain cases, they're also looking to buy one or two more technical things like um, mortgage-backed securities and and one or two more complex financial products. But what they're trying to do is drive interest rates down, drive the cost of borrowing down to encourage people to borrow so they have some cash flow at hand. I think we've also had nearly 60 central bank interest rate cuts this year now. So again, that's trying to get credit flowing. And again, what they're also looking to do is back up uh, loan schemes for uh, companies, again, so that they're not frightened of the rug being pulled from under them and they have money to tick them, keep them ticking through on this very difficult time. Do you think this is a coordinated effort? They're actually working together or is it just coincidence they all seem to be doing the same sort of stuff? I think finance ministers, G7 finance ministers have been talking. I think as, as we sit here today, there's a there's a G7 leaders video conference planned. So I think there is a coordinated element here, as there was in 2008. And I think what's interesting is that they've moved a lot quicker than they did in 2008. So I think that's what's probably um, been notable this time is that I know we've seen criticism of some governments for how quickly that they've hand, that they've responded to the crisis will probably come to fiscal policy in a minute. But monetary policy has moved very, very quickly. And yet it wouldn't be a big surprise if they'd all been having a chat with each other, these central bank governors. And and how well has it been received so far, the moves that they've made? Has it done what they wanted it to do so far? I think initially they, they got a massive raspberry, if the truth be told, Laura, because stock markets actually went down on the back of the first interest cuts, the interest rate cuts from the Fed and the Bank of England. And the initial response to the quantitative easing packages was lukewarm. I think there's been a little bit more interest once the Federal Reserve has decided that there isn't going to be a cap on its programme. It initially announced a 700 billion quantitative easing scheme that would have taken its balance sheet to around 4.7 to 5 trillion US dollars. Uh, but they've now said this is QE infinity, you know, kind of Buzz Lightyear type stuff, I suppose. And I think markets have begun re- to respond to that. The question is, will this actually help the real economy? I think initially the point was perhaps not if you you know because QE and low interest rates worked to a degree in 2008 because they provided cheap liquidity and cheap finance and were there to encourage people to go out and spend. Now that's all very well and good, but right now we're not really allowed to go out and spend 
There's not much to spend it on if you can get out there anyway, apart from life's essentials. And also, we're hearing from a lot of companies and a lot of individuals when you listen to talk shows or radio broadcasts, a lot of people say, we've got more debt than we want already, really. And we certainly don't want to take on any more debt when we don't know how long the lockdown is going to last. So I'm not sure that in terms of a, a real economy response, it's necessarily going to work. However, as we know, financial markets, selfish things, don't necessarily care that much about the underlying economy or, or certainly can detach themselves from it for a while. And my suspicion is at some stage, all of this Fed liquidity, and some people talk about the Fed's balance sheet going to 10 trillion US. So say there's an extra 6 trillion of US liquidity knocking about, even if it doesn't go into the real economy, at some stage that's going to look for a home and it could be asset prices. So I wouldn't be in the least bit surprised if on a, let's say, a two to four year view, frankly, share prices and asset prices were to start to head towards the planet Zob unless they were to withdraw this stimulus. And I bet they haven't got the bottle to do that. But in the short term, I'm not sure it might help the economy massively or as much as some of the fiscal things that we've seen, but it could perish the thought, just start to stoke asset bubble number four of my career. Not that I've been responsible for them, I hope, I hasten to add. So it's, is there a point that we, we we get impression that central banks have done everything they can um, and there's a clear, clear impact, it's working. I mean, what, what, what people need to look for then to know that things are on the recovery path? I think the first thing that stock markets are going to look for is is a, is a peak in the number of new global cases because I think of, of, of COVID-19 because that will give people a sense that if things have stopped getting worse, then eventually they might start getting better and markets therefore trade off that second derivative of a slowdown in the rate of change and then a, you know, a decreases. So I think that would be the first thing. I think what you're looking to see from, a, from an economic point of view, you'll be looking to see well, people allowed out of their house, people allowed to start shopping again, you'll start to see that reflected in lead indicators like purchasing managers indices or concurrent indicators like consumer confidence. So those are the things that you will, you will, you would start to, to, to look for, perhaps. But I think the stock market at the moment, I think, is tentatively putting a hand out towards the view. But if everything shut down for three months, it can't get much worse than that, can it? And if it can't get much worse than that, then at some stage it's going to get better. So I think the worst thing that could happen well, A, clearly in a real world view, but B, from, a, from the very narrow and less important stock market perspective, as if there's a second wave of cases, for example. And how does some of the kind of fiscal me measures um, that you touched on there, so some of the moves by the Bank of England, for example, how does that tie into what the, the central banks are doing as well, particularly I, in the UK, I think? I, I think their impact on the real economy is potentially greater and quicker in that there's the scheme whether it's offering pubs a grant so they've got some cut some cash flow coming in whether it's business rate holidays whether it's um companies being given a break from vat payments for example i think they're all immediately cash injections to the companies because there's not cash going out there's cash staying in the businesses you then got mr sunak's initiatives of whether it's money for the nhs uh, or for example whether it's the 80 percent subsidy for employee wages to try and stop unemployment going uh, through the roof. I think that, again, is reassuring people in the most important ways, which is you're going to get help and time with your bills, and we're actually going to make sure that there's cash coming into your household. And I think that that's why it's more useful from a real economy point of view than what the central banks have done. The central banks are in trying to get people, people to go out and spend. At the moment, people are frightened of losing their job and being able to meet their bills. 
So it's the backwards way around. Whereas I think the fiscal stimulus that we're seeing, certainly in the UK at least, is very directly helpful uh, very, very quickly. I, I appreciate there are no doubt hoops to jump through and, and forms to fill in. But my suspicion is, not Laurie, you probably know more this, about this than I do, but the wage subsidy will be done through your tax return. So I assume you'll get kind of a negative tax return where actually money comes in rather than money goes out, I guess. Yeah, yeah, the wage subsidy, and it's done by through the employer as well, and, and they apply through HMRC. But a lot of those details have yet to be kind of ironed out. Yeah, so again, um, the quicker the better, clearly. Mm, exactly. And so, Russ, we've seen stock markets really pick up um, the last couple of days. Do you think this is now the start of the recovery rally, or is it just too early to call that at the moment? I, I wouldn't want to put my shirt in it. I, mean, I think what I would say is that it's probably a potential time to buy. I wouldn't say it is the bottom or the ultimate time to buy, but things have been mown down. There is a lot of panic out there. You are seeing a lot of companies trading below book value that have got cash. So I think if you do your research, you can find things that are just chronically oversold and will look like look like picking up money in the street on, on a long-term view. But the sort of rally that we saw yesterday, 9% in the UK, 11% in the US, mm, that sort of volatility doesn't normally call bottoms and that sort of optimism doesn't normally call bottoms so that I would be worried that it's a it's potentially a bear trap rally it could run for a bit but I, I would probably be more inclined to buy when things have gone down five or six percent in a day when they've just gone up gone up nine or eleven percent in a day so I think we're definitely a heck of a lot nearer the bottom than we were and I think if you're a patient investor I wouldn't stop you doing your research and picking up names that you feel are financially sound now and can come through the other side because I think it'll work out fine but you will have to be brave it will be choppy, but I think there probably is the risk of the old bear trap rally before we really hit bottom. Brilliant. Thanks, Russ. Thanks a lot. Pleasure, team. You take care. I'll keep well. Thanks. You too. Thanks. So, Dan, then if we look a bit more at markets, we touched on, on kind of broad market movements there, um, but we've got so many factors going into them at the moment. We've also seen retail shops close their stores in the past week. So if we drill down into kind of what particularly the FTSE is doing um, and how companies are faring in that over the past week. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's a couple of sort of drivers for the stock market in last week. So just give you a context and say that over the last week, the FTSE 100 is up by 11%. Um, there are some markets elsewhere in the world that are even better. So, for example, in, in Germany, the DAX index is up 19%. So, I mean, it is, it is governments, uh, central banks doing what they can to help um, sort of solve this crisis. So the Fed's coming out with this unlimited QE, as Russ was just talking about. Um, President Donald Trump and the US Senate have agreed an economic relief package worth more than $1.8 trillion. I mean, this includes money to bail out industries that have been affected by the crisis. So so what, you, what you're seeing is that you're getting some clarity on um, the support for companies. So you've got lots of businesses saying that we're, we're going to stop operating temporarily. Now, whilst this all seems like bad news, the stock market and investors love some sort of certainty. They don't like to guess what's going on. So if they're told that a business is, um, has X amount of cash, this amount of borrowings, um, this is what it's doing with its workers, this is what it's doing with operations for this amount of months. It really does help to form sort of a much clearer picture about where you stand as an investor. You're going to try and understand, well, okay, can we, we work out what, what this means for earnings near term? So uh, I just did a little bit of um, searching on the markets just before 
we started recording this podcast and amazingly 290 stocks in the FTSE 350 have gone up in price in the last wow. week. That's pretty impressive considering at some points during this, not that long ago, a couple of weeks ago, there was one or two, if that, that had gone up. Yeah. I mean, it's so there's 19 of those have gone up by 50% or more and 58 have gone up by 30%. So these aren't small movements. These are these are really chunky movements um, over a period of a week. Um and actually, if you drill down to the companies, it's a mixture of um, there's a couple in there which are sort of high yielding stocks where people are sort of worried about the returns they might get on their cash in the bank. But but actually, most of them are the ones that have been heavily sold down. So the the betting companies, the pubs, the cinemas. Now, I'm wondering if this is investors sort of taking the view that, uh, yes, there's disruption to their business short term, but um you know these these companies are not going to disappear they're going to have support from the various initiatives from the government and so on to be able to get through this crisis um and it, it does take a brave investor to want to be buying at the moment but there is certainly a lot of activity on the markets people aren't sitting on their hands and i think if you talk about there there needing to be brave investors to be buying at the moment but actually if we look at the the figures from aj bell year invest um we can see that throughout this time there have been consistently more buys than sells uh, so people are purchasing more than they than they're selling off so it shows that that lots of and those are uh, diy investors so those are people that aren't um uh, not being helped by financial advisors. So it shows that there are quite a lot of people out there that, that are seeing an opportunity for a bargain during this time. Yeah, that's really that's is really interesting. And um and I think some people might be surprised at that behavior. But you know, it goes to show that people are taking a sort of a longer term view and 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 sort of thinking, well, I can buy some of these stocks potentially at sort of 2012 prices. Um it's quite incredible, really. There, there's also stuff like gold, which has been very volatile. You would have thought that was a one-way ticket upwards. Um, you know, when everything's going bad, people tend to buy the metal, but that's not been the case. Um, particularly with some government bonds as well. Invest some investors have been selling uh, the more liquid things that they've got just to turn into cash. Um, so that's why it's the market isn't perhaps behaving as some people uh, initially thought it might be. We're also getting very widespread dividend cuts, which we, we touched on in last week's podcast, but it is now almost a daily occurrence where you have big companies saying, well, we'll sit, we don't have won't pay the dividend, we just preserve that cash, it'll help tide us over through these difficult times. And and here we're actually starting to see a bit of a backlash against the airline sector, where you know they're asking to be bailed out, get some state aid. But the critics are sort of saying, well, hang on a minute, you've been paying hundreds of billions of dollars in um, in dividends and buying back your shares, which might help your management hit their earnings targets and get their bonuses. So um, there's a, there, there is a sort of a divide between what companies are doing. And actually, the, the ones that are cutting the dividends, they are a lot of them are seeing their share prices go up with the market saying this is this is a good thing. It's the right thing to do at the moment. Um, because it's a good long term move for the for the financial health of the company, basically. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's it, you know, it. I think the key thing here is 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 we really want to protect people's jobs. Um, and even if companies sort of go through, say, a three month period of um, absolute turmoil, um, you know, it, it it helps to keep these 
preserve the future of the company is what we want to do as well. So that, you know, if the future, the company's reassured, then, you know, people's jobs hopefully will be reassured as well. And I think we, we, you are seeing now, particularly on social media, there's this, people are looking for examples of companies that are doing the right thing and the companies that are doing the wrong thing. And that might influence their, where they shop and spend money when the crisis is over. I mean, and I really I hope that does, because I think there's a lot of you're right. There's a lot of people talking about the fact that they're going to they're going to reward companies that have done the right thing and kept staff on and, and kept paying them as much as possible. But with their custom, once all of this is over and and you kind of hope that that does follow through and that does happen because it's quite a good lesson for companies, I think, in future. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Weatherspoons is currently a massive target for criticism. Uh, it's saying it's not going to pay its staff until it gets a government loan. And um, it doesn't seem to be caring about them at all. EasyJet's been um, going to go ahead and pay its shareholders dividends, yet at the same time it's asking for state aid. And there's loads of people stuck in Egypt and it's not handling things very well. So you, you think there'll be a bit of a backlash against these companies. But I just give some examples of ones where I um, think they're doing very well um, and getting a lot of praise. Uh, like Sainsbury's is prioritising deliveries for the ill and the elderly. And the, and sort of the casual dining chain, Leon, um, it's come out and said it's served nearly 14,000 takeaway and delivery meals to NHS workers in the past week. And all of this is actually done at um, a 50% discount. And what, what it's, it's turned around and said, well, it's going to stay open, and it, but it's not going to force its staff to come into work. It doesn't want them to feel like they're going to be um, at risk if they have to use public transport, et cetera. And, and it's, it's actually it's costing its business more to stay open, but but really wants to do a service to the country. It, it's saying it's inundated with requests from hospitals. And um, and if by some strange action, accident it makes a profit, well, it will actually use that money to, to sort of directly feed hospital teams. I mean, people are going to remember this. Um, it's not a PR exercise. It's doing the right thing. And I think, actually, well, when you look at some of those examples, even if you just look locally, it's amazing how quickly so many businesses have been able to pivot from doing what they were doing and from operating under one business model to very rapidly switching to adhere to the new government guidelines and, and still manage to keep a business running and, and keep staff on board. So even if you think about kind of local restaurants that had to shut up, shut up shops and they've started doing takeaway services for the first time, or there's so many examples. And I think it's really interesting how quickly lots of these businesses have been able to switch to not only stay open and carry on paying staff, but also to help those that are most vulnerable or in need. Yeah, and I think you know, obviously we've we, we've we've talked through some of the sort of the support the businesses are getting, but actually there is support out there for individuals too. So Laura, you, let's go through um, some of the help that's available to people, how they can access it. And I think perhaps one thing that's really worrying people is what what do they do if they're if they're not working, not drawing a salary, perhaps temporarily? How are they going to pay the mortgage? Where would they stand on that? So that's obviously one of the biggest costs for for people is either mortgage or rent um, coming out each month. And so the government announced that you can have a, a three month mortgage holiday, which effectively means you don't need to pay your mortgage um, for three months. So that'll be a massive saving for a lot of people. There's no strict guidelines or, or criteria that you you have to meet. It's kind of decided on a case by case basis and each bank will take a view. So if but broadly, the guideline is if you're ill and can't work, um, 
or if you've been affected by coronavirus in another way, so you've lost your job, for example, or you've lost hours, um, or, for example, you're one of the parents who has to stay at home and now juggle homeschooling and working and has been able to take on less work, um, you need to speak to your bank um, or building society, whoever provides your mortgage, um, and speak to them and they will decide. But the initial reaction so far seems to be that you can kind of self-certify these things so you can say you have been affected by it um, and not necessarily that you need to provide reams and reams of paperwork. The slight flaw to this is obviously lots of people are calling their banks and building societies at the moment about various issues, some of which we'll, we'll touch on in a minute, but um, it means that the phone lines are pretty jammed to get through because you've got to think all of these companies are also suffer suffering staff shortages because people can't travel into work or they're ill or they're self-isolating because people in their family are ill. So it does require a little bit of perseverance, I think, um, holding on to the phones. And banks are urging people that if you're calling for a routine thing, that can wait, um, then then you should wait and hold off off jamming up those phone lines. Okay. What what and what if you rent your house? Where do you stand there? So that was really tricky because lots of lots of kind of help and and focus was on those who were paying mortgages, but actually there wasn't initially that much help from the government for renters. But, uh, and they're thought to be in more of a financially precarious situation purely by the fact that if you can afford to buy a home, then you're probably slightly better off than than if you're renting as a broad brush thing. Um, so now the government has said that, that you should speak to your landlord. They've extended the mortgage holiday to um, buy-to-let mortgages as well, so the mortgages that landlords might have. It means that if you've fallen to hard times or you've lost your job or any of those instances we talked about earlier um, as a renter, then you should be able to speak to your landlord and, and they could take a mortgage holiday um, and, and in turn reduce your rent or cut your rent. The Government also brought in um, things talking about the fact that there should be no evictions for people, because obviously this is a really difficult time to be moving house or to have to find a new home to live in when you can't go out and do house viewing. So the government has, has halted those um, evictions. The thing, going back to the, the mortgage holiday that applies to both landlords and, and homeowners, um, is you're going to have to pay that money at some point in time. So it's not just, oh, yeah, I get three months of free mortgage. That will, you'll have to discuss with your lender how that's paid back in the future. So that might be the, say you've got 20 years left on your mortgage. It might be that that's extended to 20 years and three months. That obviously means you're going to be paying interest over a longer period. So this isn't a cost-free move. So you just need to find out all the information and weigh up the pros and cons before you decide to do it. For some families, it's a no-brainer. They don't have money coming in. They need to do this and they'll have to worry about the cost of it later on. For some, if you're kind of at that marginal point, it's worth working out how much extra it will cost you and whether you need to do this now. And what's so another sort of key um, outgoing for a lot of people every time they get their, their pay pack each month is to um, help repay personal loans and credit cards and I'm sure there's lots of people worried about that as well if, if they can't keep up those repayments is there something that the government's done to to help those in the situation so banks say that they'll they'll be more forgiving than usual in those situations so some banks have said that they'll um waive the penalties for any missed payments for credit cards and loans, for example. Um, lots of banks will extend your credit limit so that you have the ability to borrow more money on your credit card or your overdraft or um, 
potentially even your any personal loans that you've got. Some will cancel um, credit card advance charges. So this is where you've used your credit card to get cash out because you don't have enough cash in the bank. Um, some will waive those fees because you're normally charged a fairly hefty fee for doing that. Um, and some will defer your loan payments for three months. So a bit in a similar way to the three-month mortgage holiday, it'll mean that you don't have to pay um, your loan for three months. Again, that will cost you in the longer term, but if you're in a real crunch point now, that could be worthwhile. So I think the main thing to do is talk to your bank about what your options are, explain your situation um, and talk about your options. There's been quite a lot of worry around, among some people that these um, taking advantage of these offers from banks will end up affecting your credit rating and your credit record. Lots of banks have reassured people that that won't be the case, but it's definitely a question worth asking. Um, the impact it might have on your credit record, just so you're aware of, of the kind of pros and cons of, of what you're taking on. And how about if you've got a savings account, perhaps you're on a, a sort of fixed term deal where you're not normally allowed to withdraw money um, until the end of that term. Is there anything sort of changed where you can actually, if you need to access the cash, you can do so? Yeah, so banks are saying that you can access that penalty free. So normally you're guaranteed a certain interest rate if you lock your money up for, say, three years. If you're only a year into that and you realise that you now need to access your savings because you've got to financially difficult times, banks are letting you access that and without paying the, the penalty. So they're acknowledging that people might need to dip into their savings at this point and they're not um, putting too many barriers in the way of, of you doing that. Obviously, in an ideal world, if you have different savings pots, you'd use the ones that are that are getting the lowest interest rate first if you need to dip into your savings. And then you'd kind of go up the scale and, and, and gradually touch the ones that have higher interest rates. But obviously, for some people, that's not an option and, and they've just got one pot of savings. And, and so in that case, um, they can access it. So again, it's a case where you need to call your banks. Lots of banks have set up dedicated web pages with um, advice. And lots of people will probably, I mean, I know I have received emails from their bank saying, this is the support that's available and directing you to different places. So there's lots you can find out about on the website, but most of it, I think you still need to call up to actually action it. Yeah. So another one to think about is childcare. So I know obviously with the schools um, now closed across the country. Well, saying that they, they are closed, but if you're a key worker, I know some schools are still open to take the children of key workers. And, and I think a lot of people think key workers are perhaps only sort of NHS staff, but they can be people that are critical to um, keeping essential businesses going. So it's, where do, that's a, it's a bit more complicated this one, actually. Where do you stand with childcare? support from the government or yeah it's difficult so um the definition of key workers was much larger than lots of people thought it would be so it includes a lot of people in those essential businesses that are staying open so for example supermarket workers um it, i know that it includes uh, some delivery people milkmen and milkwomen for example um and it also includes some people in financial services so it's any of these people that that need that are needed to keep the country going as well as the ones that that you would immediately think of, so NHS workers, for example, or um, or teachers. So for most people, schools are closed. The difficulty is that for those with younger um, people, most nurseries are now closed as well. In fact, I think all are now. Um, and nurseries have a business model where they charge you, even if your child is off sick or on holiday, you pay for those number of days. And whether you use them or not is kind of immaterial. You still have to pay for them. And lots of nurseries had written clauses into their contract to say that even if a global pandemic was announced, you would still have to pay your nursery fees. But lots of people, um, particularly in more expensive areas, 
these costs are kind of up there with your mortgage in terms of um, the amount that you need to pay each month. And if you're in a scenario where you're getting less work or you're having to take on less work because your kids are at home, that's a real crunch point for people. So now the government has announced the the 80% um, funding for um, employees. Lots of people are hoping that that might help reduce their nursery fees because the logic, and you can definitely see the argument from both sides, nurseries are saying, we still need you to pay your fees because we need to pay our staff. And if you want there to be a nursery still here at the end of this and somewhere for your children to go when you go back to work, then you need to carry on paying us. Um, obviously, the flip side is that parents are paying a lot of money out and they're not getting any childcare. So the hope is that with this government support scheme in place, that will help to pay nursery workers who can't work during this time. And that might help to reduce or maybe even eliminate all of the, all of the childcare and nursery costs for individuals. I know some people use um, who have school age children use after school clubs and breakfast clubs. So the kind of it's called wraparound childcare. Um, those tend to be a bit more flexible. And so that would be a case of um, if you haven't already speaking to your provider of that and, and seeing if you can negotiate either lower fees or, or not paying those fees. Um, but that will be kind of a big cost for people. The other thing that's a little bit more niche is um, to do with childcare vouchers and tax-free childcare. So if you, your income is lower and you're normally contributing to those schemes each month, you should speak to, um, to your employer or to the government to see if you can knock those contributions right down so that you're not seeing so much come out of your pay packet. Yeah. Well, so just there's probably some more outgoings that we sort of need to be aware of. What one um, it would be the council tax. I certainly, well, I know that my recycling service collections have stopped um mine is still going i live in fear that they'll stop well you know they're still going to pick up like food waste and they'll they'll pick up your bins uh i haven't collected twice um sorry once every other week i i know and certainly in various parts of the countries they'll stop so i don't know people sort of saying well you're not providing all the full services that we pay for are we going to get a cut in the council tax and i I don't think people i don't think that's going to happen but um what what if you actually can't pay your council tax is there something that Yeah, government has central government has has filtered down money to local councils to allow for council tax relief. So it means that the local authority can give council tax relief to those that are most vulnerable and most in need. Again, the definition of of what that is and what criteria you have to meet to to qualify for that is a little bit vague. But if you have fallen on hard times and you know that that is a cost that you're going to struggle to meet, then you should speak to your local authority because they have been given funding to allow for that relief. Yeah. And what, and just finally, what about, what about paying energy bills as well? Again, this is like, you know, you've got your gas, water, uh, electricity to pay. You might have to pay some or all of those. It's, yeah, these are more outgoings that people are going to be worried about, aren't they? So. Yeah. And again, there's been help from energy providers, um, to help the most vulnerable people and to stop services being cut off during this time because obviously everyone is in their home and if you can't afford to um, keep up with your bills the last thing you want is for your water or your energy to be cut off so there's help there for vulnerable people and I think probably the final thing is rail fares which was announced this week because obviously lots of people will have bought season tickets for their normal commute into work that they're now not using um, and the government has said that um, anyone who has an advanced ticket should be able to refund it free of charge and season ticket holders should be able to claim a refund for the time that they haven't used on their tickets okay well hopefully all that information will really help you understand where you where you are at the moment um and perhaps prize 
provide some sort of relief in terms of if you were worrying about it. And if you have any other questions, then we're happy to answer them on future podcasts. Um, so definitely give us a shout if you have any areas that we haven't covered there that you think might be useful for other people as well. So, Dan, you've gained a new job in the past week, much like lots of parents. You're now a teacher, too. So have you got any tips on, I mean, probably just broadly controlling children and not getting bored, but mainly on getting money or maths into the new school day without the kids noticing? Yeah, so I, well, like, like many people across the country, I'm, uh, I've got my, got my children at home, so I'm working from home and having to deal with it. Um, you know, they, they've, they've been set some stuff to do. Um, by their schools as well but it's I've got one that's in primary school and perhaps they haven't got as much as the one that's in secondary school to do so um, I did I did see something really interesting in a day which I've I've put into action in the last couple of days and it's working very well which is trying to encourage my kids not to completely eat everything in the house Um, so giving them like a uh, a bucket of coins each day that add up to a, a pound each and they can use that to um pay for things like uh, an apple slice of toast packet crisp and stuff so they've all got different prices and it, 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 um, i'm definitely the younger one is you know obviously is good because they're getting practice adding up um money and sort of budgeting as well really because they know that once they spend that money there's no more sort of snacks uh, they're going to have they have to wait till the next day so um but it's quite hard trying to think of the prices um currently got something like an apple for 15p but i'm thinking well what that cost me what you know say 40 50p to to buy one of these in the shops do you think i'm i, I should put my prices up laura or am i being fair <laughs> i think you should be making a profit off your kids they're costing <laughs> you more by being at home you should you should make a profit so are you charging more for unhealthy snacks like chocolate bars well or yeah i thought option well they're, they're they're not an option at the moment in the house uh we've eaten them all so um <laughs> But like 50p for a packet of crisps, I thought, because, you know, you don't want them to have and, and they wouldn't be allowed to have two packets of crisps in a day either. So we, we don't tend to eat lots of those anyway. But um, we've got lots of fruit at the moment, but I'm sort of a bit concerned that the shops might not have too, you know, too much stock at the moment. So if I went to go and replenish them, they may not there won't be a lot there but it's this flip side of you know you want them to eat healthily but um i think i do need to put my prices up on the fruit so (laughs) well you could have swing prices and then you can teach them about supply and demand if there's no apples in the shops then the price of the shop the apples should shoot up oh very good very good (laughs) (laughs) so thanks a lot for listening this week um as i mentioned earlier if there's anything you want to cover or any questions you have on the current market or anything we've talked about or anything we've not covered then do get in touch on podcast at ajbell.co.uk and we'll see you all next week thanks very much before you go please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of aj bell or shares magazine The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.